Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I want to speak to you from the subject, the light city, the light city. And we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, continuing right on, right out of the Beatitudes. Jesus had just gone through his eight proclamations of blessings over his people. It was, it's the Christian's constitution. It's, it's the proclamations from heaven to earth as Jesus is proclaiming the kingdom of heaven into existence on the earth. And, and he's saying blessed. And, and where we last left off, Jesus said blessed are the persecuted. The type of people you wouldn't think normally would be the ones that would be blessed. Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when you're mocked, when you're falsely accused, reviled, and people say all manner of evil against you. Why? For my sake. And what does he promise? He says, yours will be the kingdom of heaven. Now Jesus comes out of that powerful portion of the Beatitudes and jumps into this next proclamation where he says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are so gracious towards us We're thankful, God, for your forgiveness, for your grace. We're thankful, God, that you chose to pronounce blessings over us, your people, instead of curses, God. And we're thankful that you will use us to be a light to this whole world. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen, 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 and amen. The whole Sermon on the Mount is about the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to the earth with all its kingdoms, customs, and people, and he proclaimed a supernatural kingdom, a better way with a greater king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And and his principles of how to live, they're not natural. They're not what we would do instinctually. They're greater. They're unique. They're powerful. They're spiritual proclamations. This kingdom of heaven is what Jesus came to not just proclaim, but to establish on the earth in the hearts of men and women. And what's Amazing is in the establishment of this through the Sermon on the Mount, through his ministry, he makes this this proclamation, this, this concept that you are the light of the world and that you are a city on a hill. Light and city. Light of the world and a city on the hill. It's, a, it's an incredible concept that Jesus puts together a city of light. It was said in the World's Fair in the 1800s in Chicago, where they put together this unbelievably Greek-styled city outside of Chicago. They painted it all white, every building. And and then this was the first time that electricity was used on a mass scale, 160,000 electrified light bulbs. When people came into this city, it's called the White City or the Light City, people had thought for the first time, this is what heaven must look like. There was a brightness to the city. But Jesus says, no, no, it's not not electricity that will do this. It's not the natural. I'm speaking about the supernatural, and I'm speaking about you. You are light, and you are part of a city, a refuge. You are light. You reveal. You show. You reflect. And you're part of a city, a community, a light city. 
I believe what Jesus is speaking about is God's people. God's people gathered, connected. He's speaking about the church. The church is the gathering of God's people where his light comes into our midst. We begin to reflect it through the whole world. The church is a place of refuge. The church is a place of reflection of the spirit of God. The church is a light city. It is a light city. And, 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 and the, the, the context, the point, I believe, that Jesus is trying to get across to us is that God will reflect the nature of his kingdom through his people, through his church. God will show the nature of his supernatural kingdom through his physical people, his physical church. God will, God will reflect the nature of his kingdom through you and through me. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. But see, Jesus was an incredible communicator. and He used physical things to reveal the supernatural. And what you might not know is in the region of Galilee... It is surrounded by mountains. This is the Sermon on the Mount. So we know that Jesus is in that region, and he's up on a mountain in Galilee. Most likely, he was on the Jewish side of the Sea Tiberias, of the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, he did do ministry on the Gentile side, but most of his ministry was in Capernaum and, and around that area. But on the Gentile side, there was a massive city. And this city was called Susita, or Hippos. And it was a Greek Roman city. And what's interesting about this city is it was put high up on a plateau on a hill, on a mountain. On the opposite side from the Jews was this Gentile city in the area of Galilee. And it overlooked the Sea of Galilee. And this city was unbelievably well built. In the Roman style, it had a main highway going down the middle had temples and archways and large buildings. In fact, most of this city was built with white materials, marble and limestone, and, and it reflected the sun all over Galilee. So no matter where you, were, where, where you were traveling to, what city you were in, in the basin of Galilee, in the Sea of Galilee, you could see this city high on a hill, much like a lampstand. And at sunrise... In sunset, it would illuminate light over the entire region. And this city was part of the Decapolis, which were 10 Roman-style cities all throughout the area of Israel that were given autonomy. And, and, and what they were put there to do was to bring Greek and Roman influence into the Jewish culture. They were there to be a representation of Rome far away from Rome itself. What were they doing? They were there to reflect the kingdom of Rome in their architecture, in their style, in their customs, in their language, in how they were built. They were all there to show the glory of Rome. They were all there to be a sanctuary, a refuge for Romans. So when Jesus is preaching this, over his shoulder, you would have seen a city on the hill that reflected light from the sun over the whole region, was illuminated, much like a lampstand. And you would know that that place is a place of influence. That place is a place of representation of another kingdom, of a foreign power. 
And this is what Jesus is using to illustrate what his people should be like, what his church should be like. He is saying, church, you are part of a greater kingdom. And the kingdom is far away, but its power is vast. It is real and it is mighty. Though Rome fell, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and it is advancing to this day. And churches should be like Susitas, cities on hills that reflect this is what God looks like. This is what the language of Christ should sound like. This is what the actions of Jesus should look like. We are reflections of a foreign kingdom. So yes, our culture should be different. The way we speak and act and talk should be different. Why? Because we are reflecting the light from God into the world. We are like a city set on a hill that God can point to and say, this is what my kingdom is like. Is the church the kingdom of heaven? No. That's an eternal thing. That's where we're headed. But for now, we are here to reflect, to reveal the nature of the kingdom that is to come. God will reflect it through you individually, and he will reflect it through us corporately. The church is a light city. When I was in Israel, I, I desperately wanted to visit the city of Susita. It was really difficult to find. It, it, it really hasn't had much archaeological work done on it, almost at all. It's almost untouched. And it's in the area of Galilee that's disputed territory with Jordan. So, so almost neither side... Uh, goes near this mountain. And, and, uh, and so the first two times I was there, I wanted to go. I wasn't able to. And, and this third time I said, I'm going to find this place and I'm going to make it up to the city on the hill. I'm going to see what it looks like when that light hits this region. I want to stand in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so luckily we found it. And, and as we were turning in, there were signs all over saying, you are leaving the protected region of Israel you're heading into disputed territory. You're on your own. Your life is on the line. Do not enter. We're driving and saying, go back, go back. My driver's like, are you sure it's here? And I'm like, I think it's here. We wound our way up on really small, you know, kind of unkept roads up the top of this mountain. And when we got there, it said the archaeological site of Susita, the city on the hill. And the only way to get up to this city was to take the snake path, which... I was nervous about because, you know, I couldn't tell if the snake path meant there's going to be snakes or it's shaped like a snake. I couldn't, I didn't know which one. But as we started going up this path, I figured out that snakes were the least of our problems because the first sign we see was, do not step off the path. There are active landmines on your right and your left that are left over from the war in 1967. And, and so... Landmines is a little bit higher on the, on, the, uh, on the list than snakes. And so not much higher, but a little bit higher. And, and so we stayed on the path and we made it up right at sunset to the place called Susita. In fact, I, I do want to show uh, the archaeological dig if, if we can. I'll, I'll show it to you here on the screen in a moment. I was able to get some, some drone footage of Susita. And you won't be able to see too much. But here is the ruins of the city of Susita. It's high on a plateau. What you can't see very well, because it's kind of blurred out here, but all that blue in the background, that's not the sky, that's the Sea of Galilee. And you can see these massive stone structures. 
And in a moment, as the camera turns, you're going to see this straight line. That's the Cardo. That's the main highway that goes straight through the heart of Susita. So, so when Jesus was speaking about a city on a hill, it wasn't theoretical. It was real. And as I stood in this city at sunset and saw, even to this day, the great white pillars reflecting the sun over the region of Galilee, I had, I had this thought, I had this revelation. This is how God sees his church. We weren't meant to be small. We weren't meant to be dim. We weren't meant to be down. We were meant to be mighty. We were meant to be a city of refuge, a landmark in the community, to have influence over large areas, to be seen by all as a reflection of God's glory. When Jesus came to build his church, to establish his church in his reign on planet Earth, he did not come to build a small thing. He came to build something very mighty, something worthy of giving his life to, and that God may be glorified through his light city, through his people, his community, and his church. I'm grateful that our church for 30 years has been, to the best of its ability, a susita, a city on a hill. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I remembered our vision statement that Pastor Steve wrote over 30 years ago when he launched the church. And I thought it would be right on this weekend where we are eliminating the, the mortgage and, and, and we're moving into a new chapter of our church to read that vision statement today. This vision statement of new life is as relevant now as the day it was written. And it says this, I see the house of God established as a landmark in the community. A place where lives are restored, marriages healed, and children taught about their heavenly father. An oasis in a dry land. A place where ministry is meaningful and the work of the Lord is joined by the hearts and hands of good men and women where integrity and genuine love is evident. A light in a dark world. Above all, a place that raises the banner of Jesus Christ. Where the Holy Spirit is powerful and alive and the glory of the Lord fills the temple, a city on a hill. The church was always called to be a light in the dark world. And the church was always called to be a city on a hill. We get our commission, not only from the Great Commission, but from the Sermon on the Mount. Our church started in a little storefront over 30 years ago, expanded, taking over the storefronts on the right and the left to it, and moved from the storefront to an industrial park where revival hit. And some people didn't like what revival did and left, but hundreds more came. God began to raise in our hearts to build something magnificent for the glory of God, a, a city on a hill. We were able to buy these 40 acres through a miracle. Able to build this church that I'm preaching from, that the men of the house built with their hands. Miracle after miracle after miracle. We were able to establish our, our second building next door which was for leadership development. We had Masters Regional Academy for many years in that, in that uh, building. And, now, and then we had ALC in that building, and I'm excited to see what comes next for leadership development in that building. Awakening Conference came from this church. Easter at the Dunk came from this church. And, and all because we believe that we're not meant to be small, little, quiet. No, we are meant 
to be a light in a dark world. And I've got some truth to deliver to you, a testament to deliver to you after 30 years, 2,000 years of the church advancing. We know this, that the darker the days, the brighter the light. This past year, it seems that darkness has been ever increasing. But I'm so grateful to be a part of a church where we fed thousands upon thousands this year. The opportunity was there. And this church stepped up. Why? Because we're going to be the city of refuge. We're going to be the light that people need, especially in their moments of darkness. I'm grateful that our church, as much as it possibly could, stayed open. Did whatever we could to stay open. To help people through this spiritual time of, of attack. Mental instability. Difficulties and finances. But the church was open. And the altars were open. And people were receiving prayer and encouragement and worship in the word. And, and I've got good news to tell you today. This church is stronger than ever. The worship is more anointed than ever. The people are growing in their discipleship. God is doing the miraculous. Almost as if, if we will be faithful to him, he'll be faithful to us. That he would establish us as a landmark in the community. But we have to not back down from being who we're called to be. And in the midst of it all, the miracle that we're able to burn this mortgage in the midst of a pandemic, that's not when you're able to do stuff like that. But 30 years from now, we are going to be able to tell the testimony of how this church rose up, even in the midst of uncomfortable, difficult situations, paid off this mortgage as a testament to God and and we're prepared to move into this next season financially free. Why? Because we want to do more. Why, why am I saying all this? Because I want to pat ourselves on the back? Absolutely not. None of this could be done without Jesus Christ. None of this could be done without the help, the leading, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But he's been faithful all the way through. And the key verse that is on our walls and been over our church all this time, the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. Forceful men lay hold of it. It's still true today. The kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing. So what am I saying? I'm saying that we as God's people, we as his church, if we will be faithful to Jesus, he will be faithful to reflect his light through us, to build up our community, to make it strong that many, many would be helped even as the day grows darker May our light grow brighter. This is the nature of the church. Jesus goes on and he gives us this command. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Hear me, when God's hand is on you, it becomes evident to all those around you. I believe that Daniel is a great illustration of the hand of God. He served under Many emperors, foreign emperors. He was taken from his home at a young age. He was actually in exile. And he was a foreigner and he was living under Babylon. Babylon is a picture of, of an empire that is against God. And yet, here's Daniel, thriving in a culture that is against his God. Thriving in a culture where he's a slave, exiled, a foreigner. And yet God is elevating him all the way. He's allowing 
him to shine the light of his God in a very dark place. You might think that everything that Daniel was facing, being in exile, being a foreigner, being, being, being taken from his home, all these things would make him not blessed. And yet he was blessed all the way through. How could that be? How could Daniel be blessed in the midst of extremely difficult situations? Well, the Bible tells us. In Daniel chapter 6, the Bible says, because he had an excellent spirit on him. An excellent spirit was in him, so he began to rise through the ranks of leadership. And also, they tell us that, that Daniel was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. What was he doing? He was reflecting the light of Jesus Christ in a dark culture. You know what I think is interesting about this phrase, an excellent spirit? The Bible says that an excellent spirit was found in Daniel. It was just in him. How do you get the excellent spirit in you? Is it something that you try and push for? Force yourself into? A standard that you hold yourself against? Now, I believe when you receive the Holy Spirit, you get an excellent spirit on the inside of you as well. This isn't something you have to strive for, push for. It's fruit that you have to let God grow out of your life. But if you receive the Holy Spirit, last week we spoke on Pentecost about the Holy Spirit. Last Sunday, many people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, many for the first time. If that's you, maybe you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but you've kind of let your spiritual prayer language drift. Maybe, maybe you know God, but you haven't received His Spirit. Hear me, you've got to get the Spirit of God on you and in you. The Spirit is what Jesus promised to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He separates you out from all the rest. It's almost as if a light begins to shine through you. A spirit of excellence, goodness, joy, love begins to come in you. Does that mean that you're perfect? Certainly not. But there is something different in you that's coming out of you. Jesus says, let your light shine. What is that light? But the spirit of Jesus Christ that's within you. Daniel had this on him. He had this in him. And so the Holy Spirit became the source of that excellent spirit on the inside of him. Because, see, when you receive the spirit, that's when you can begin to reflect the spirit. And, and you got to know this. Your spirit will gain you promotions that all your skills never could. People want to be around others with a good spirit, an excellent spirit. I don't know if you've ever been around a professional that really knows what they're doing, but they have a spirit of like bitterness or complaining always on them. Maybe they have a spirit of anger on them. Even though they're good at what they do, their spirit is not excellent. And no one wants to be around that person. Don't want to work for or with that person. But hear me, I believe if you have an excellent spirit, not only will God gain you, give you the skills you need to gain in what you do, I believe that, that God will give you uh, um, so much more than just the skills because why people want to be around you. How you do things is as important as what you do when you're accomplishing those things. And I believe that part of Jesus' promise in the, in the Sermon on the Mount here is to have the light of Jesus in you. As it reflects out from you, everyone is drawn to it. It's just a light on you. I pray there's a lightness in your spirit. I pray there's a light on your faith, on your face. Some of you need to tell your face to lighten up. I pray that there's something on you that begins to draw others' attention towards you. 
That was what was on Daniel. He could have allowed the circumstances, the darkness all around him to define him, but instead he allowed the spirit that was within him to outshine what was against him. I believe that is God's promise for his people, even for his church. And so the king noticed this. So the king made a plan. He said, I'm putting Daniel in charge of the entire empire. All of the empire of the Medes and the Persians, Daniel will be second only to me. What happened was the other governors, the other elites, nobles, they were frustrated by this. They said to themselves, isn't this man, not, he's not even one of us, he's an exile. And yet he's gaining an influence. He's gaining an advantage. And he's gaining an authority. The problem was they knew that this man was faithful in all that he did. So they weren't going to be able to trip Daniel up with the things they were able to trip other men up with. They knew that he wasn't derelict in his duty. They knew he didn't have a bad attitude. They knew he wasn't going to leave stuff half done. They knew there weren't a bunch of skeletons in the closet for them to bring before the king. So what did the governors do? They, they came up with a plan where they said, let's make a, a decree. Let's trick the king into making a decree. And they came to the king and they said, oh, king, you are so worthy. You are so great. Make a decree that no one can worship anyone or anything but you for the next 30 days. And at the end of those 30 days, um, we'll go back to normal. But 30 days where you receive all the honor and all the glory alone. See, this was a trap because they knew that Daniel had a source for his light. They knew that Daniel had a source for his spirit. They knew that Daniel was a reflection of the light that came on him, in him, now through him. Every day, Daniel prayed publicly from his balcony. He faced Jerusalem, another city on a hill. And he prayed for the city of Jerusalem. He prayed for the people of God. He prayed to God. Though he was in a foreign culture, he never allowed that culture to dictate his customs. He never allowed their identity to get on him. He remained who he was, a light in a dark world. And he prayed to Jehovah God. Well, when the edict was signed, Daniel found out about it. And all of the other governors, rulers, they were interested to see what Daniel would do. At praying hour, Daniel's doors flung open. Daniel came publicly before the people. He raised his hands to God and he prayed, the Bible says, as he did before. In other words, he did not change who he was. He did not change what he did simply because the culture around him changed. He was in the culture, but he was not of the culture. He was a reflection of a different kingdom. He was a reflection of a different king. And so he prayed publicly to his God. The governors and nobles, they brought this to the king. They said, didn't you say, O king, that no one could worship anyone but you? And the king said, that's true. And they said, well, Daniel has been found to be doing things outside of your way. He's been found to be worshiping another king, another god. You might be saying, Jordan, why are you telling me this story? I'm telling you this because in in the process of fulfilling the Sermon on the Mount, when you begin to get God's Spirit on you and in you, when His light begins to shine through you, others are going to begin to take notice. Others are going to even begin to shut you, try and shut you down. Now, they might not even know why they're doing this, but they have a spirit that is contrary to the Holy Spirit, 
working on them and in them. Darkness is trying to flow through them and combat light. This is what secular culture is pushing against the people of God right now. You know what I find interesting? Why didn't Daniel just go inside and pray? He could have closed the doors. No one would have known. He didn't have to stop his praying. He just didn't have to do it publicly. He didn't have to do it before everyone else. He could pray, but no one needed to know. But Daniel knew a deep truth. Daniel knew the Spirit of God. Daniel followed the words of God. That when you are to worship me, don't be ashamed of me. Jesus says, let your light shine before men. Who you are is not meant to be hidden. I pray that you as a Christian, I pray us as a church, never back down from our divine identity. That we do not alter our convictions because of the ever-changing decrees of secular culture. We're going to be who we're called to be. We're going to follow the word of God. We're not going to hide who we are, pretend we're otherwise. Interesting, Daniel could have gone along to get along. He could have just hidden who he was, hidden what he did, prayed and made it through those 30 days. But Jesus said, no, let your light so shine before men. Be who you are. Be it all the way through. So when Daniel went to pray, he prayed publicly. Peter says this. He says, dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, interesting word choices, to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. What is Peter saying? Peter is saying, be a city on a hill. Do not be hidden. Be public with who you are and what your faith is. As a church, as God's people, I pray you choose to trust Christ, admit the ever-darkening of our culture, that you, you choose to cling to God's hope, God's light, that we continue to be a landmark in the community, a city on a hill, that what we've done before will pale in comparison to all that God will do through us if we will remain faithful. That we will not hide, that we will not shrink, that we will not become little only to be acceptable to people with limited worldviews. I pray we are who we are and let light create a contrast. Because know this, light always creates a contrast. Remember when Daniel refused to eat of the king's food. What was he doing? He was creating a contrast. He said, you do what you do, we'll do what we do. You serve your God, we'll serve our God. And in the end, we'll see how this works out. I pray we as a church, we stay faithful for the next 30 more years. We continue to be the landmark in the community, the light in a dark place that others may see our good works continually, faithfully, over many years, decades, and that God will get the glory. Jesus has been faithful to his church for 2,000 years. He's been faithful to this church for over 35. And I believe, I know, 
that his faithfulness will not run out, but it will continue to a thousand generations. What's our job? Our job is to simply keep reflecting the light of God through our words, our actions, our deeds, our bravery. Daniel trusted God. Daniel could have run to the king and begged for his life. Daniel could have gotten out of it. I know many of you are in situations where you, you might really have to trust God, where even your jobs are at stake. I pray that God is greater than your HR department. I pray that God is greater than the people that hate you on Twitter. I pray that God is greater than the dissenting voices of people all around you. Keep shining bright. That the Spirit of God be on you and through you. That God will be faithful to you. That he will continue to build his church. And at the end of all of this, people will see God, see our lives, and give glory to God because of them. You know the story. Daniel gets thrown in the lion's den. This isn't a children's story. These lions had killed before and were going to kill immediately after. This was a scary situation. These lions were half starved. They were there for a purpose. But in that moment, even the king said, Daniel, I pray that your Lord delivers you. And God did. He was faithful to the man who was faithful to him. In the morning, the king came, said, Daniel, are you in there? And Daniel called back, my Lord has delivered me. And here's something I want to read to you. The king's decree, Darius's decree written those thousands of years ago, I believe are still so relevant to us today. Then the king Darius wrote to all peoples, nations, and language that dwell in the earth, saying, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is a living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your God who is in heaven. Even the king had to acknowledge the king of kings. I pray we as God's people, us as his church, we will reflect the nature of God's kingdom here on earth. That we will represent God before man. That the spirit of God will come on us, be in us, and shine through us. And I pray that the light of God's city grows forever. Amen? Amen. God bless you, Awakening. Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.